0: God, I thank you for your word. I'm so thankful, Lord, for just all that you're doing. God, I'm so thankful that it might just end up, Lord, that when Easter comes, we'll actually be at that part of Matthew. And how cool is that since I've been joking about it since before? God, and it may happen. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are in control of all this. Lord, that you know what this is all going to look like, that you have just absolute understanding, God, of how all this is going to play out, Lord, not just where we are in scripture in relation to the holidays that are coming up, Lord, but really, Lord, and more importantly, Father, how it all works out in the end. God, what you've got planned for us, Lord, you know full well, Lord God, and we're just sitting here looking at it, trying to understand a little bit of it, God, but I thank you, Father, that we can trust that you do know what's going on. Lord, that just as the message is called today, Lord, you have got this, and there's not one thing we need to be concerned about. So thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, now as we dig into your word, Lord, would you speak through this foolish man words, Lord, that, that would impact, Lord, words that, God, you would, would want to speak to everyone here, Lord, to everyone listening online and everyone that's gonna listen to this later, Lord. We, we just give it all to you, Lord, and trust you with it, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, I've named this message today, God has got this. Because he legitimately has this. As we dig through this entire chapter, I need you guys to continually remember, he's got it. Because you're going to hear me say a bunch during this chapter. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how that, what that means. <laughs> I don't know exactly how this works out. I don't, I don't know. And you're going to be like, the pastor doesn't know. What? Ah! Right? Like some people do that. <laughs> don't do that. Study. <laughs> Don't worry about it, you guys. This is the Olivet Discourse, right? This is this deep dive into the end times and eschatology, and like I said last week, right? Like this is Jesus doing his his you know giving us what he wanted to give us, telling us what he wanted to tell us about the end times, and there's all this debate and argument, and there has been since he said it all, and if that's existed for this long. I'm just, I'm just giving us a heads up, you guys. I don't expect us to walk out with all the knowledge and the, the wisdom to know everything because we haven't for this many years. So I don't expect us to suddenly change course and know everything, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, run very far away from pastors, I would say, that feel like they've got it all well in hand and figured out. I'm just being honest, right? So as I've said before, I want to encourage you guys, read ahead. Read ahead, read this chapter over and over and over again. Like, pray about it. Ask God, like, what, Lord, what is there here? And what do I even believe about all this? And what does all this mean, Lord? Right? Do the same thing I'm doing every week, right? Be Bereans, dig in. Pray hard. Ask God hard things. Like, what does this mean? But also remember, as you do that, there's not one bit of this chapter that is salvific. What do I mean by that? I mean this. If we get to heaven and we realize that like we were way off on our ideas and our thoughts on eschatology, God's not going to be like, you're out. (laughs) That's not the way this works. Jesus dying on the cross and rising again is your one way in, period. That's, that's salvific. That's the one thing that matters. I've been accused. Actually, I had some people tell me recently, (laughs) I thought it was funny. Like all you ever do is tell people that they're either needing to come to Jesus or they're going to hell. And I'm like, well, that's pretty much it. Like, I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that in a loving way. The most loving possible way I can say it is like, come to Jesus. Know who Jesus is. He's the point. He's the whole point, right? Everything else, man, is just like dressing. The salad is Jesus. The dressing is all the other stuff. You guys, yeah, that fell flat. (laughs) The main thing in all this, you guys, if you study this hard with us and you're going through this and you're like, man, I don't see things the way you do, pastor. I just can't get my head around the way you're seeing it. Can I just say something? It's all good. It really is all good. There's no reason to argue about this. There really isn't. Listen, if I find out you're right, I will be no less happy to spend eternity with you and Jesus in heaven. And if you find out I'm right, first thing I'm going to do is be like, I told you. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. You guys, God's got this. Right. Yeah. And so remember last week we spoke about the fact that Jesus was telling us, right, as a segue into this next section that we're going to study starting in, chat, in verse 9. Remember, Jesus told us, right, we should not be surprised or thrown off by wars or rumors of wars, by famines, by pestilences, by earthquakes. He tells us this very encouraging statement this is just the beginning. Are you guys encouraged? No. (laughs) You're like, okay, thanks, Jesus, right? But this idea that, man, Jesus is like, "Don't, don't be freaked out by that stuff. The earth is groaning. Humanity is just getting worse and worse and worse. Like, that's just kind of the way it's gonna be. And I don't know about you guys, but there is an encouragement there in that to me, and that is this, that as the Lord does the work of sanctification in our hearts, we become a clearer and cleaner image of him day by day by day. And guess what? That makes us countercultural. That makes us begin to walk the literally the opposite direction from the world around us. And I promise you, the worse it gets, the more that's gonna stick out. That's kind of a cool thing, you guys. Christians, if you're here today, that should excite you. It does me. Yeah. So the reality is we're gonna dig in here to verse 9. And I'll tell you up front, we're going to make it through verse 14. We're doing good. So let's start reading verse 9. You ready? It says this. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. All right. Good job. Good night. <laughs> they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. So he says, like, man, they're going to deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. If you're the disciples hearing this, they're like, hey, how's this going to end? Like, what's all this going to look like? And when's this temple thing going to happen? Like, when's the temple going to be destroyed? Those were the original two questions they asked, remember? Like, how's it all going to end? Like, when are you coming? Like, what's all that look like, Jesus? And what about this temple thing? And now he's gone through and told us, like, hey, man, wars are coming. All this stuff's coming. Don't freak out. It's just the beginning. And now he's like, oh, also, by the way, you're going to be in tribulation and they're going to kill you. And they're also going to betray you. Like there's all this fun stuff happening. So Jesus, you guys here, I need us to understand something kind of pretty profound. Do you notice here when it reads, it says this, they will deliver you up to tribulation. Isn't that a little funny? And that's not, that's intentional, right? That's not just the English kind of not knowing what to do with the Greek, which is sometimes happens, right? Like where you're like, the Greek is just... The way they spoke was just, they thought differently about language. And so the, then to translate it in English, one Greek word has like an entire two sentences to make it make sense sometimes. I'm exaggerating a little bit, not much. But the fact is here, you guys, the way this is delivered in the Greek, the way this is um, kind of spoken in the Greek, what it's actually saying is that tribulation himself, it's personifying tribulation. So you're going to literally be delivered up into the hand Of this person, tribulation. The theologian Adam Clark says this about the Greek here. I got that up there for you guys. They are are to be delivered into affliction's own hand. To be harassed by all the modes of inventive torture. Jesus was talking about a huge amount of tribulation here. And the reality is, you guys, he also speaks about the fact that, like, as this tribulation ramps up, as tribulation has its way, so to speak, in and amongst the Christian population, he says, man, people are going to turn you over. People are going to betray you. People are going to get super offended that you will not just stop this Jesus kick and move on and come back to where they were. Like, people are going to be ticked off and you are going to pay for it. They're going to hate you. You guys, this is something that was happening in the New Testament, wasn't it? Not very long after this, we have Nero. And you guys, we've talked about Nero before, but man, Nero historically was kind of, I mean, he was a wacko just like a lot of them were, but like he would stick poles through live Christians, people that were alive and light them on fire so that he could drive around on his chariot naked and have lights because he said, you want to be the light of the world? We'll light you up. They would pour oil on them alive, stick them on a pole and burn them alive. They would sew animal skins under the back and throw them to animals so the animals would eat them. There was real tribulation then. So the reality is we need to understand that, yeah, like that happened and it's happened in the New Testament. But the fact is, you guys, you know, it's still happening today. Not that long ago. ISIS was going through. And in Egypt, when they got to Egypt, you guys, there's an entire population in Egypt of Coptic Christians. You guys ever hear about that? They were being beheaded, crucified today, right now, not long ago, a couple years ago, it was all over the news. And it's probably still happening. It's just not newsworthy anymore because we have COVID or, you know, the slap heard around the world or whatever. So, (laughs) but the fact is, you guys, is that like, there's still stuff happening today right? There's still stuff going on today. And so just like the rest of this discourse, and like I told you guys last week, there's like kind of four main views of how people look at this chapter and then therefore kind of view all of their eschatology through. And listen, I told you last week, and I'll say it over and over and over again, I tend to hold, I hope for, this idea of a rapture that would happen before the tribulation period, right? I'm a pre-millennial, That's where I tend to fall. When does that rapture happen? Well, that gets way more hairy. I don't know. I'm hoping for before the tribulation, right? That'd be great. But I'm okay if it doesn't go down that way. You know why? Because God is perfect and God knows the perfect time. But there's also other views. And we talked about at least two other ones. And I'm just going to review really, really quick, right? Post-millennial, they believe that like there's going to be this kind of thing where we hand Jesus uh, basically, uh, for the most part, a perfect earth, And that grew up during the time of the, um, I always want to say the Reformation, but it's not, the Enlightenment. So it's a very kind of humanist perspective. I don't see that scripturally, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. If you hold that view, there are other people that do. You're not alone. And guess what? We don't know. Maybe that's the way it's actually going to go. And that's the one that I'll get there. I'll be like, really? Are you for real? No, I'm kidding. There's another view, another main view is millennial, right? Which means there really is no millennium. We're kind of in the millennium right now. Like that's that. And so when they look at these, this chapter, they kind of see the Olivet Discourse differently. They see it more like a lot of this stuff was taken care of and, and literally fulfilled. All the stuff Jesus said was kind of fulfilled 70 AD, like right around that time when the temple was destroyed because they're like, look, that's what he was talking about. And the reality is when we look at it, you could make an argument for that. I don't 100% see it, and so that's not the way I'm going to go. But I want you guys to understand that you're the ones that have to chew on this. You're the ones that have to figure this out, right, as best as you can. You, you have to come to a safe conclusion in your own heart that says, yeah, I kind of see that. I think that's right. And there are people in our church right now that hold that view. It's cool. It's good. Whenever the rapture happens, I'm going to be like, ha-ha! And they're going to be like, woo! Yeah! Right? No. You guys, I'll never get to <laughs> That joke will never get old. So when we look at this section, we can see it from different angles. An amillennialist amillennialist views this as something that came to fruition shortly after Jesus ascended, right? They believe that before the temple was destroyed, right? There was all this stuff. Nero was doing all this stuff. All this stuff was happening. And then Titus came in and wiped out the temple. All that stuff. They're like, look, that's when it happened. That's when they were being betrayed. That's when all that stuff happened. And to me, yeah, this is true on a level. All of the disciples except John died a martyr's death. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians died for their faith during this time. So is it, is it untrue to say that that didn't happen? No, not at all. It's totally true, right? Right? everyone except John. And just to let you guys know, John was boiled alive in the Colosseum and survived it. And according to uh, Fox's book of martyrs and, and church tradition as a whole, it says that uh, the entire Colosseum that was there accepted Christ. I, I hope that's true. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. But then he was exiled to Patmos, right? And that's where he, God came and, and he wrote the book of Revelation, right? Jesus was like, hey, let me show you something cool. And so that, that's when that happened. And so yeah, I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather just get my head cut off or something quick and easy than to be boiled alive and survive it. I'm like, oh, come on, Jesus, just take me home. A premillennialist views this as something you guys, and this is the view I tend to hold, is that what they're speaking of here is that this is gonna be something that gets progressively worse and worse and worse and worse until Christ returns. And the reality is, I think that the truth of this is that both are true. Right? I see both. Persecution and tribulation, you guys, has been in the world for Christians since Jesus began showing up on earth. Since that moment, John the Baptist died. All these other people. Why? Anyone that was looking at Jesus was suffering. And that's continued. And Americans, we have it pretty easy. And we should praise the Lord for that. But can I say another thing we should be doing that we're not? I'm just a little pow-pow here. You Ready? We should be telling others about Jesus more. We got every freedom. You guys, we are not afraid of getting our head cut off for speaking about Christ. We are not afraid of, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You lose your job? I'm, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm just saying comparatively to a Coptic Christian in Egypt? Really? What do we have to be concerned about? So I think both are true. I think it doesn't take much looking around to see the persecution still exists in this world. And I believe it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus returns. And so I say, Christians, let's take advantage of the time we have here, American. Let's take advantage of the fact that we have the freedoms that we do here because we don't know how long they're going to hold on, you guys. Do we? I'm not trying to be a doomsday whatever. I'm not trying to be that way. Right? God has blessed our country. We are blessed. Why? Because we were built on this idea of the Ten Commandments. We were built on this idea of a moral right, right? Like all those things are true. And I'm not getting political here, but I don't see that continuing forever as we continue down the road. We've slipped. We're slipping. The slope is getting deeper and thick and, you know, and steeper. And I'm okay with that because I think Jesus got has it all. Right? But what I'm not okay with is his church not doing the things we're called to do. His church not really like getting out there and taking ground and seeing the Lord move in amazing ways now. And the reality is, you guys, I'm going to read this to you. Americans, think about this. If we do this, if we get serious about our faith with the Lord, If we seriously start saying like, Jesus matters more to me than my job. Jesus matters more to me than anything in this world. Sincerely. I'm not talking about beating people over the head until they have Holy Bible tattooed on their forehead. I'm talking about being a good human being, being out there and saying, Holy Spirit, speak through my life. Holy Spirit, do something in my life. Give me the wisdom to know when to speak and when to listen. Give me what this is supposed to look like in my context, Lord. Help me to understand that because that's what I want more than any other thing. I think if we do that, you guys, I gotta read this. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all the nations for my namesake. There will be many that are offended and betray one another and they will hate one another. I, I, think that, I think that's true. I think here in America, we're starting to see the beginning part of that and what that looks like. And I, I need you guys to understand, I'm not talking about Westboro Baptist. I'm not talking about God hates fags. I'm not talking about all this stuff. I'm talking about loving people like Jesus loved them. I'm talking about speaking truth in love. I'm talking about telling people, look, there is so much a better way for you. And you just have to like realize that the way you're living, how is it working out for you? It doesn't look like it's working out good. Let me show you a better way. Let me turn you on to the way that I have found. That's what I'm talking about. Verse 11 says this, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. You guys, this is a little different than what we read in verse five, right? Remember verse five last week, it says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. This is a little different. These aren't people saying, I'm going to be the Messiah or I am Jesus reincarnate. And we talked about Jim Jones. We talked about David Koresh. We talked about, well, we didn't really get into it, but I did a bunch of study last week. There are some freaks down in Central America and other places that say they are literally the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if you guys know much about Rastafarianism. It's basically a huge excuse to smoke a lot of weed. But the other part of that is, is that they actually went to an Ethiopian king back in the 70s, and said, you're Jesus. Did you know that? He was a Christian, and he's like, no. No, I'm not Jesus. And, they, and then he died, and they're like, they're waiting for him to come back again. That's Rastafarianism. That was Bob Marley. Great music, wacky theology. Right? No woman, no cry. No Jesus. Cry. You guys... What we're reading here is he's saying there's going to be many false prophets that rise up and deceive many. And listen, again, this is one of those things. millennial view. This happened in the past. Yes, it did. Judaizers. If you have read any amount of the New Testament past the Gospels, we see these Judaizers that stepped in and they started like twisting the minds of the Christians and Paul spoke a lot against it. And all the different apostles had to speak against these Jews that came in and they're like, yeah, Jesus is right. I mean, yes, 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 Jesus is the Messiah, we get it. But you also need to follow all the Jewish laws still. So it was Jesus plus the law. That was a false prophecy. That was this false people coming in and trying to add something to the gospel message. Gnostics, another group that we read a lot about in the New Testament. The Gnostics, you guys, the Greek word, I'm giving you guys all sorts of lessons here. Ready? Two words for knowledge in the Greek. One of them is uh, gnosko. And that's where we get this word, Gnostic. So if you're agnostic, that means you are You don't know God, right? A lot of people around here will say they're agnostic and what they really are is atheist, or they're humanist because they believe they're their own God, right? But agnostic literally means I need to know who God is. So if you're here today and you're claiming agnosticism, that's good because you're here, awesome, praise God. But that means you're digging in and that you're trying to figure it out. If you're not doing that, call yourself what you are. You're an atheist. You do not believe in God. Because if you're agnostic, you're looking for God. But guess what the Gnostics taught? They said, we have this special knowledge. We know that Jesus was, yeah, he's the Messiah, but he wasn't exactly what the apostles are saying he was. He was a little different. He put on the coat, so to speak, of the Son of God, and then he took it off right before he was crucified. That's what some of them said. Then there was this other group of Gnostics that grew up that were like basically saying that like, oh no, he was the son of God and he died that way and all, but like what that really meant and what he was trying to show us is that flesh is really, really bad. And so there were two groups that grew up out of the Gnostics and neither of them were good, right? It was Jesus plus some special knowledge that only they had. One group of them said, look, you have the freedom to live however you want. Flesh is unimportant. You want to go up to the temple prostitutes and have sex all the time? Go ahead. You want to do whatever you want? Have at it. Do whatever you want. Jesus doesn't care. That's not what this is about. And the apostles are like, no, that's not right. That's not right at all. Then there was this other group that were completely the polar opposite. And they were the group that was like, look, you cannot do anything fleshly. If you laugh at somebody's joke, you've sinned. I mean, it was like so ridiculous. And so they were super locked down and super like afraid. And they were like, oh, we need this special knowledge that you need to live this certain way against the flesh and mortify the flesh every chance you get. All of these were false prophets in those days. What about some more modern day ones? There were certain Catholic monastic orders Some that still exist, you guys, that believed back in the day that self flagellation, beating and scourging yourself, and they would actually create like a cat of nine tails and beat themselves and rip flesh off of their own backs. Why? Because Jesus plus hurting yourself is what you needed to come to Jesus. I'm not dogging the Catholics, I'm just telling you history, right? That's just the way it was. You guys, that's false prophets. It's Jesus plus nothing that gets you to heaven. It's Jesus plus nothing. You're not ever going to be good enough to get there. You need Jesus. You're not ever going to be bad enough to not get there. You need Jesus, right? Right? Like you just need Jesus. That's it. You will never be good enough. I don't care how altruistic you are. You're not going to get there. You're never going to get there. You need Jesus. Jesus is it. That's it. Jesus plus nothing. And we still see false prophets today, you guys. I'm gonna say something that might to tick people off and that's okay. Jesus plus a positive confession does not get you there. The health and wealth pastors of today that we see on TV so often are absolutely false prophets. They're charlatans. If you need to send them $10 to get a wallet that's never empty, just tell them to use their own wallet. You think I'm kidding. There's actually a guy that did that. That's sad, isn't it? You guys, this idea of positive confession that's grown up in the church today, do you realize where that comes from? It's very, 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 very new age. Right? If you, if you pr- confess something out into the universe, then it will be true. I spoke to a gentleman just recently and he was telling me that that's what he believes, that he believes that, man, if he, just, if he speaks positive words into the universe that the universe will return positive things. And I was like, and I was like, you're not very far off from the health and wealth pastors. Right? They believe that their will is going to get something done, that they're going to bend God's arm and he's just going to submit because they have to. I mean, you've, you've put the positive thing out into the universe. You've spoken something positively. You've had enough faith. You know what I have faith in? I have faith that God is sovereign. I have faith in the fact that God will do whatever God chooses to do. And you know what that means? If God wants to move a mountain, he darn well can move a mountain. If God wants to heal somebody, he can do it. I've seen it happen. And the craziest thing is, is that it was nobody's faith when I saw that happen. I saw a, a kid get up out of a wheelchair and start walking across the front of the church. And everyone was like freaking out. And everyone come over. And we all knew this kid. He had been in a wheelchair since the day he was born pretty much, like since he could kind of wheel himself around, and he got up, and we're like, whoa, why why did you do that? And he was like, you know, because we're like, what is happening? And he was like, yeah, I felt like Jesus was telling me to get up, so I got up. We're like, all right then. (laughs) Nobody was over there being like, oh, Jesus, I have the faith that can move a mountain, Lord, move in this child's life. Oh, God, do it, do it, do it, do it. Nobody was. We all were like, what just happened? That's what we did. Did he have enough faith? Enough faith to hear that the Holy Spirit said to do something, and so he did it. Guys, we don't have that much faith to even do that to a friend that we're supposed to go talk to, do we? So let's stop worrying about all this stuff, this health and well stuff. This is false, man. It's false prophets. We have modern false prophets. I don't know. I guess as a pastor, sometimes you get, like people send you all these articles, and you get to read all this kind of some fun stuff. And, uh, and, I, and a lot of them are great. I love them. And so, like, please don't stop sending them. But there have been a few times where people sent me stuff and, like, I'm, I, listen, again, this is not political. I'm just telling you where I see a lot of false prophets. There's a whole group of prophets, quote, unquote, today that have mixed American politics with the Bible. And they're like, they're, and in their, their view, everything is super intertwined. And so, man, before the election, Trump was going to win, according to many prophets. Like, it was prophesied that, you know, thus saith the Lord. Trump will win a second term. And then he didn't. And I had to go and send emails and texts and go talk to some of these people that sent me all of these documents. And I'm like, do you realize they're false prophets? These are false prophets. And some of these guys were so arrogant that then they went on and they're like, oh, by this last October, Trump was going to actually take over the presidency. Anyway, did you guys hear about some of this stuff? It didn't happen. Let's look at something. You guys want to know what? you're supposed to do with false prophets or what God does with false prophets? Flip over with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. We're going Old Testament, y'all. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse 20. Says this. I love that sound. Hold on. Mm. <laughs> It's like coffee brewing in the morning, and then the pastor, whenever he hears pages flipping, you're like, mm. <laughs> "Yeah, that you need a sound on your phone, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, it says this, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, what's it say there? That prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, don't listen to him. Don't give him room in your brain. You guys, that's happening today. And our job as Christians is to do one thing. I'm not saying that God has not given people the gift of prophecy. We had a lady here that passed away, uh, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago now? I don't know, but um, just awesome lady. And man, she would come up sometimes and just read my mail. And I was like, what the heck? You guys know what I'm talking about with read my mail? Okay, there was one time I was praying. This is right around the time I was getting ready to take over the church. And I was like praying. I'm like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do with this backstage thing? And like, how's all this going to supposed to look? Which, by the way, we still haven't changed. We're going to soon. Um, but I was like, Lord, is this even important? Like, is this something the church should spend money on? And like, Lord, how do we do this? And Lord, is this even something we should be praying about? Because like, there's way more important things here, Lord. And I'm, I'm praying all these things on my day off. And the phone rings. And it's Mary. And I pick up the phone and Mary says, if you guys knew Mary, oh, she was like, the answer is yes. And that was her very first words. I'm like, hey, Mary, what's going on? She's like, the answer is yes. And I'm like, yes to what? I don't know. (laughs) The Lord told me to call you and tell you the answer is yes. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where you're like, God gives people with prophecy. And I don't know about you, but most prophets I know, that I, like the people that I would say had that gift, half the time they're like, I don't even know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but here it is. I'm just telling you this. And you're like, that's because God wanted you to tell me that, right? Yeah. So there is a real thing. I'm not minimizing it. But Christians, our job is to seek God and tell others about Jesus. We see our calling in Timothy. Flip over with me to Second Timothy. This is the pastoral epistles, right? 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, the three pastoral epistles, the three places that I live most of the time and just keep reading and reading and reading because I have so much to learn and grow in, right? Like we all do. But here's the deal. Chapter 4 of 2nd Timothy. I think, yes, Paul was talking to Timothy, but I think it's for all of us, you guys. I think it's all the calling that we all have and here it is. and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Guys, I think that's for all of us. Yes, some of us are called to maybe a more specific role in that, but but God's call for all of us, is to go out into the world, tell people about Jesus, live a life that shines Christ. That's all of our jobs. Amen. Yeah. That's all of us. So don't be thrown off by these false prophets. Don't be weirded out. Don't be freaked out and think like, oh no, how's this going to affect the kingdom of God? It's not, you guys. Jesus is no less on his throne today than he was before October or before the other prophets said that Trump was going to be the, the president and before all those things. He's no less Jesus. He's no less God. He's no less on his throne. There's not one thing we need to worry about. The health and wealth gospel will not win out the day, even though the way we look at it, I think we're getting to that place where people are stacking up teachers that they like. It's way easier to hear that you can have your best life now than it is to hear that, guess what? There's a real place called hell that you're gonna go to if you don't know Jesus. So I get it. I get why those megachurches exist. Because people have itching ears. That's easier to hear. Shoot, I like hearing that too. But it's not true. What did Jesus promise us? Trials and tribulations. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) What else did he promise us? Peace that passes all understanding. Rest in him. Right? It's amazing. Verse 12, back in Matthew, says this. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness, you guys, is going to continue to abound. This is going to become more and more true as time continues. And we're seeing it, aren't we? Even on the world stage, we're seeing it, you guys. NATO was set up after World War II. Why? Because it was this idea of like, trying to bring peace into the world in a way that's like, okay, we're going to manage ourselves, right? Americans, listen, I served 15 years in the Air Force. We knew the Geneva Conventions. You had to take testing on the Geneva Conventions. You had to understand the Geneva Conventions. Anyone here that's military knows these things. Like, you got to know them. And guess what? We're about the only people that follow it. Sadly, right? If you're taken as a POW, you're not going to be like, Article 3 says this. And <laughs> they're going to be like, just do what I told you. Right? Like, it's not going to go well for you as an American, but we treat others well yeah. still. What am I saying all this for? Because the reality is on the world stage, you guys, lawlessness is abounding. It's why Ukraine is invaded. Mm-hmm. It's why Korea keeps launching nuclear warheads. It's why who knows what's happening in Iran. Or any other place right now. You guys, we're going to continue to see it. Jesus was telling us, hey, like expect it. It's coming. It's going to happen. Spurgeon said this, though. He said this about um, the love of many growing cold. Because as lawlessness continues on, you guys, the love of many will grow cold. And this is what Spurgeon said. Anytime it's a Spurgeon quote, it's good. When the heart is cold... The hands can find nothing in the purse. And Christ's church and Christ's poor and the heathen may perish. For what we have, we hoard for ourselves and live to grow rich. If there is anything that goes on as it ought to, or I'm sorry, forgive me. Is there anything that goes on as it ought to go when love waxes cold? Everything gets wacky when love waxes cold. We're seeing it. We're seeing it, aren't we? Look, at, look in the world. Just look at our country, you guys. As love waxes cold, people can get up on stage and slap another man. As love waxes cold, people have no problem literally demolishing another human being until they kill themselves because they're so distraught. As love waxes cold, what you say doesn't matter anymore and you don't care what anybody thinks about it. Until you get hammered on by everybody else, then you care, only for a moment because you're in trouble for it. Isn't that the way the world is going? Love is waxing cold. When love waxes cold, you don't give two hoots about anybody else but yourself. That's the way the world lives. Church, we should not be that way. We should not be that way. And I praise God that here at this church, that isn't how we are. And I praise God for that. But listen, we need to watch ourselves because as lawlessness continues, the love of many will wax cold. You guys, as Christians, we have the privilege of living in a way that is counter to the culture around us. And I've got to be honest. I think that that literally is going to get easier in some respects as love waxes cold and as lawlessness abounds. I think it's going to get even easier. Why? Because it's not going to take nearly as much effort to stick out. Seriously. But if you're not practicing that now... Like, it's like a football player saying like, no, I I don't want to get hit by the linebacker. I'll just not get hit by the linebacker. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But then you get to the game and you're like, okay, put me in coach. And the coach is like, dude, you're going to get crushed. You haven't practiced at all. Would Would that happen? Like, no, a coach would set you. You'd be benched. You guys, I think the American church, the Christian church, is suffering some benchings because we're not willing to step out in the tiny little things now that the Holy Spirit's telling us to step out in. Like, hey, go over across the church and talk to somebody you don't know. No, thanks, Jesus. I'm not gonna do that. But then you're like praying that God's gonna use you out in the world in some massive way. Do you get how those things don't work out? You need to practice the play now. This is your training ground. We've talked about it. This is the bastion. This is the safe place. This is the place that, yeah, if you're not serving here in this church and you've been attending for a while, figure it out and start serving. Not because we need your service. God has blessed us with a huge percentage of our church, way bigger than most churches that are already serving. But my goal is 100% service. Why? Because this is practice for what you're going to do in the world. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to serve here, then I think the Holy Spirit's going to speak bigger things, right? Into your life to say, hey... Go talk to that coworker that can't stand you because I got a plan for him and for you in this. And you're going to be like, okay, I can do that. Man, I just got done slinging coffee all Sunday morning. I got this. Lord, help me. Right? You guys, we get to show the goodness of Christ in this world. When culture says everything's okay and everything's good, we get to speak the truth in love and say, no, not all things are good. Not all things are good. There's some bad things in this world. There's some sinful things in this world. And guess what? I'm a sinner just like you. I'm not saying I'm better than you, but man, there are definitely sins and there are definitely bad things. And let me tell you, there's a way better way to live. That's not sin free, but we know the only one that was ever sin free and he's, he's got our back. We just need to accept it. How do we do this, you guys? I, I think it's by not rejecting those around us. It's by encouraging them. I do not hold that the gospel is a gospel of rejection. I think the gospel is a gospel of inclusion. But I also hold this. God is our creator, and God is the one that gets to choose how that looks, and how that looks, according to him, is through Jesus Christ, and that's it. And so if you're here today and you don't believe that yet, I gotta tell you, you've got to choose that, one way or the other. Either choose not to and go to hell, that's your choice, or choose to actually... Come to know him and recognize that, man, you're a sinner just like the rest of us. And, and know him. That's it. You guys, we get to love other people in spite of how they treat us. We get to love them in spite of how they treat us. We get to show people grace and mercy like Jesus has already shown us. I promise you, as the love of many waxes cold, that will stick out like a sore thumb more and more and more. We get to live counterculturally. Amen? Verse 13, finishing up. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. He who endures to the end shall be saved. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) No, I think we get some context here, right? I think that the reality is there's kind of, again, these different ways of viewing this scripture. Some people, some scholars, some Christians believe that this verse of enduring to the end actually is referring to every Christian needing to ensure that they continue to walk in faith with Christ. That that's what that means. That if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. So in other words, you have the opportunity to lose your salvation. I don't personally hold to that. I think God's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. But I do know this. I don't just... Rest my hat on that one side alone either though, because Jesus made it clear, abide in me. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. Stay on the vine, right? Like if a branch is off the vine, what happens to it? It dies. I don't know what that looks like, you guys. I trust that God's sovereign. I trust that God has our hearts well in his hand and he knows who's gonna be in heaven. We're not gonna get to heaven and look around and be like, Jesus, you missed that guy. Just like we're not going to look around and be like, Jesus, I can't believe you brought me here. Well, we probably will be saying that, right? Like we're like, I don't know why you brought me. No, Jesus knows what's up. God knows what's going on. But the reality is, is that when we look at this, it is something that we should recognize. Yes, he who endures to the end will be saved. I believe that God is sovereign. He's got it. But I also know that we need to abide. John chapter 15. So here's what I want to encourage you guys in. Don't freak out about this verse. I've had people come up to me. I have gone up to people and I was like freaking out with my old pastor in Idaho before whenever I got to this verse because I'm like, what does that mean? Like, do I got to like, what? Oh my gosh. Like, man, what? Like I just totally messed up the other day and like, and cussed at somebody at work and you know, oh man, I just, I did, did this thing. And like, does that mean my faith is gone? And he's like, the fact that you're worried about it tells me that your faith isn't gone. So I'm I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you guys, don't freak out about this. If you have accepted the work that Jesus did on the cross, the done and completed work that he did, it's done. You're good. You're saved. Don't freak out. Keep abiding. Keep abiding. Why wouldn't you? He died for you. He rose again. I want to know him more today than I did yesterday. I want to know him. Why wouldn't you want that? Do you get it? And so to me, Christian, we don't have to freak out. Do you know the ones that kind of crack me up a little bit are the ones that are like, I'm just dipping my the one toe in, just this toenail, okay, it's wet, I'm good. I'm saved, I'm good, I'm good. I'm just gonna go live how I want. Oh, that's terrifying. Because I don't know about you guys, but like to me, I know Jesus and I wanna know him more and more and more and more and more until I see him face to face. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know what all that means, but I do know this. Man, if you know Jesus, you're going to want to abide. He's got you. Other people, though, have a different view on this verse, and I tend to view this verse differently as well. I see this verse. Remember, what's he talking about here? The end times. He's talking about eschatology. And so to me, when I read this verse, and when I read these things, when he's saying, like, man, he who endures to the end, here's what I think it means. I think it means that there's a seven-year tribulation period that we read about. And I think in that time, you guys, the church, I believe this, will be raptured somewhere in there. And during that time of tribulation, people will still be coming to the Lord. We know that from the book of Revelation. There'll still be people coming to the Lord. And so the reality is, you guys, is I think that during the seven years of tribulation, those people that didn't accept Christ before the tribulation and are still alive... And so if we're here today and anyone's not a believer and all the rest of us just suddenly go away, you know that happened. Mark my words. Get up here and start reading this thing and telling other people about Jesus because you're stuck for seven years. But guess what? You're not stuck in. You can still come to know Jesus right then and there in that moment. Right? And so I think that what he's saying is, man, those people that physically survive all seven years of the tribulation are going to be at the end saved. Not saved salvation-wise. They're already saved. You're saved the moment you accept Christ. Saved physically. There will be in the millennial kingdom a group of people that have survived. Do you understand that? They're still going to be having kids for seven years. That stuff's still going to be happening. And so there will be a group that makes it all the way through the massive earthquakes and all the bowls of wrath being poured out and all that stuff. There will be. Will it be a large number? No. (laughs) No, it'll be minimal. Right? We're told all through Revelation, if you guys have read it, a third of the earth dies, a third of this happens, a third of that. There's going to be a lot of dead people and not a lot of people to bury the dead, so it's going to be stinky. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, you guys, is I think that that's what it's talking about. That Jesus is saying, look, if you make it through physically, you're good, man. I got you. I got you at the end. But I need you to understand that's separated from the fact that he's saying, if you accept Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, you're saved. That part, you're saved regardless if you die, right? So there's another quote from Warren Wearsby. It says this, those believers on earth during this terrible period, the tribulation, who endured in their faith will be saved when the Lord comes at the end and delivers them. So that's what he believes, is what I tend to believe is that Jesus was referring to literally that if you miss out on the rapture, you survive all the way through the seven years, right? That man, when you come back, when Jesus comes back and he's here and you've survived it, you're a Christian, you're gonna be like, yes. We're good, and you're going to keep living. Jesus finally makes this profound statement in verse 14. He says that the gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. So that's, what, that's the marker. That's the very first, most definitive marker he said, is that the gospel, the fact that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, will be preached all through the world, and then the end will come. And I need us to understand something. Notice it doesn't say that every, it doesn't necessarily speak to the fact that every last human being, past, present, and future ever has heard about Jesus. How does Jesus deal with that? I I don't know, but I know he has. Right? I can go into a lot of things that help explain that, like in Peter and different things where he talks about like what happens in the three days that he was, in the grave and all this stuff that that kind of answers that stuff. So there's actually an answer for it. But the reality is, can we trust that God knows what he's doing? I mean, seriously, you guys realize it's not on us to bring people to Christ in the sense that like, we're not going to get them into heaven. If it was that easy, I would be drop kicking everybody, right? I'm talking about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And so the reality is we get a lot of scripture to back up this whole point. Jesus was making a statement of fact here. He was saying, listen, at the end, before the end comes, everyone, the whole world will know the gospel. He was giving us a promise that everyone's going to hear, that all are going to hear. And scripture tells us a couple things. First off, it tells us how it's already being accomplished. And guess what? You and me are part of that. Scripture also tells us how it's ultimately going to be accomplished. So we see now, you guys, throughout history, that mission work has been ongoing in this world, right? God told us to go into all the world, not just the small area of the Middle East that he preached in. Do you realize that? Like, do you realize that Jesus actually knew that there was a bigger world context than just the area that he knew? Yeah? Yeah? You guys awake still? Mm -hmm. You okay? Am I boring you all to tears? You guys, there's even a great deal of mission work happening all over the globe now and not just to some small tribe or to some group deep in a jungle. You guys, do you know in South Korea, I always say this to shock the Americans because it shocked me when I heard it. Do you know that in South Korea that there are many, many missionaries? South Korea statistically is a more Christian nation than America by far. And South Korea sends missionaries from all over the world to South Korea to minister to guess who? You're gonna say North Koreans. Nope, American troops. American troops, because we're the most on church group there. Most Christian organizations in the world, you guys, view New England as a mission field. Did you know that? Right. Somebody sent me an article. This is like an amazing article that I just got. March 31st of 2022, so just a couple days ago, the Jerusalem Post wrote this. I said this, the Northeast has taken the biggest hit in the US within the Christian faith. New Hampshire has been identified as the least religious state in the country, with only 33% of adults identifying as highly religious. Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and Connecticut round out the top five least religious states, all of which are in New England, according to Gallup. I don't know about you guys, but that fires me up. That gets me excited. It does. You guys, can I just say this? We have a plentiful field to plant in. Yeah. We have a plentiful field to plant in. God wants us to take ground and to bring a harvest. God wants us to do those things, to lead people here to the foot of the cross, to say, here's Jesus. Come to know him. Your intellect, your perceived goodness your whatever is not going to get you there it's only jesus that's going to get you there we have a plentiful field to plant in and the final thing i want to point out you guys is that jesus doesn't make empty promises flip over with me to revelation chapter 14 do you want to know how this is all going to end jesus has it god knows what he's doing revelation chapter 14 verse 6 If this does not reach the entire world, well, then I think you don't understand how this works with angels. It says this, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Jesus doesn't make empty promises. God will make sure that the whole earth knows the gospel. But right now, you guys, this is in Revelation. This is during the tribulation period. Right now, that's our job. That's our job. And like I just read to you guys, the reality is, I gotta tell you something. I have had the privilege to live all over this country, West Coast, Midwest, I've lived a lot of different places because of the military, and I'm blessed to say that. I've gotten to live all over this world because of this. I've been in well a lot in, this, in the Middle East, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about, right? But the fact is, you guys, this statistic from Gallup doesn't surprise me. It's not surprising. You guys, I have never lived in a place that was as completely saturated with churches and yet completely devoid of Christ, There's a lot of people, there are people in this church that really sincerely believe that their goodness is going to get them somewhere. Mm. There are people that I talk to all the time that talk about the fact that they've moved past intellectually, they've moved past Jesus. We live in a world where this is, it's real here in New Hampshire. There's a real sense of hard ground here in New England, right? You guys heard that before? Can I say, since we've moved here, since my wife and I moved here, that's been the mantra of so many pastors and parishioners that I've heard since moving here, I agree. It is hard ground. But you know what else I know? Here's the deal. Here's a question I have to ask about all those facts that we just read. Do you believe that the gospel of Jesus is a big enough jackhammer to jackhammer the hard ground? I think it is. I think the gospel of Jesus is more than enough of a jackhammer to jackhammer straight through limestone, to jackhammer straight through granite. I don't think Jesus is at a loss at all. I think he's just looking for people that are willing to go share Jesus, to share him. You guys call me crazy. I just, I think God's capable. I think he can do what he says he's gonna do. He can smash through the hardest ground and he's chosen us, church, to do that. That's our task, to go into the world, to tell people about Jesus and to live a life that shines. And so my question to you guys is this. Do you want to see Jesus move here in the seacoast region? Mm -hmm. Do you want to see that statistic change? Well, then get at it. (laughs) Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.